Welcome to the queer movie podcast celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema one glorious genre at a time. I'm Jazza John and you're Rowan Ellis. Yes, I am. We're saying best and worst, but we are truly just talking about the best today because we're doing a little roundup, a little 2023 best of our faves roundup of the movies from this year. Some movies and then we do have some space for like non-movie media mm-hmm. at the end as well. Only two of mine are movies that we've done episodes for. Interesting. So there's new content coming your way. Mm, how very exciting. We have five movies slash pieces of media each and I feel like we could talk about these for like hours and hours mm-hmm. but we are going to try and keep this to a normal episode length yeah this is a speed run this is you've got to pitch it hard run. get people get people on side to to watch or read or whatever it is your thing yes exactly okay jazza how do you want to do this do you want to go through jazza's five then rowan's five or do we want to go backwards and forwards let's do backwards and forwards perfect okay do you want to go first in that case no all right i'll go first so my first <laughs> okay so my first one is actually a movie that i watched a couple of days ago which is Saltburn. Uh-huh. It's a controversial one to put on the list. I feel like it's had quite mixed reviews but I found it ridiculous and delightful. So horny just nonsense but in the best way possible aesthetic nonsense uh-huh. which I love in a movie so if you don't know if you haven't heard about this movie that I feel like has got the internet all abuzz because of not even the sex scenes just the sexual scenes that happen in this movie it is about a boy called Oliver who starts university at like Oxford or Cambridge one of the fancy ones one of the fancy one ones. of the fancy ones and he starts off a bit of a loser he's from a very working class family that has been kind of devastated by addiction and he befriends basically the most popular richest most landed titled boy in his class in his college and over the summer stays with him in this incredible mansion spends time with his family so it's very much one of those classic something happens over one summer at the country house very english like brideshead revisited meets talented mr ripley energy because it is very much an unhinged thriller it is so ridiculous it is so over the top it's so fucking camp i haven't seen this yet is there a movie that it feels like or a combination of movies that it feels like okay so this is what's interesting to me i saw a tiktok the other day of someone being like if you liked saltburn try these and then recommends a bunch of horror movies oh yeah and i feel like that ultimately entirely misses the point in that it is an erotic thriller and i think it's basically a load of film bros who are not familiar with the concept of the erotic thriller got it because it's just not really on their radar and so they're trying to be like watch the babadook and you're like what are you talking about that's not what this movie is this movie is like way more horny than the babadook (laughs) and it's also really interesting because like the very beginning of the movie is a kind of voiceover monologue of this guy oliver saying i wasn't in love with him but i did love him the movie plays with this concept of like sexuality of affection and love and obsession and all of those kind of things i felt very similarly about this movie than i did about emerald Fennell, who is the director's first movie promising young woman which i also really loved Uh which also had quite divisive reviews which is that I felt like the people who were reviewing it negatively, their reviews often hinged on a preconception of what the movie was going to be. So with Promising Young Woman, they wanted it to be a revenge thriller. They wanted it to be Kill Bill. They wanted to see very particular scenes, a very particular idea of justice happen. And when it didn't happen in the movie, they were really disappointed and sort of allowed that to reflect on their, their reviews of the movie, which to me is 
not probably how you should be reviewing films. It should be based on what the film is, not what you hoped it would be based on the kind of discourse around it. Uh-huh. And Saltburn, to me, felt quite similar. You're not going to go into this and get a very intellectual mediation on class, <laughs> the class system in the UK. <laughs> class is involved in it, but it it's one of those things where... It, there's not like a message necessarily that the film is trying to get across. Mm. I didn't mind that. I kind of came in with no expectations and I feel like probably enjoyed all the more for it. There is a scene in which a character licks come from a bath plug hole. I'm horny now. There's a scene in which a character says, I'm a vampire uh-huh. in response to a girl pushing him away from giving her head because she's on her period. Ah. There's a massive statue of a minotaur, which was actually modeled after the actor who plays Oliver and his hench hench body. It's just okay. There's so there's there's full frontal dick in this movie. Amazing. It's just very horny. And you have said you really wanted it to be one of the first movies that we do when we come back in the new year. One hundred percent I'm gonna make you watch it. Amazing. I can't wait. It's amazing. <laughs> it's gonna be That's good. my pitch. That's my pitch for the movie. Excellent. Really solid. So my first one is the last episode that we've done. It's Bottoms. Love that. That was on my list yeah. as well. So we can get a two for here. Bottoms is a high school drama comedy about two schools kind of like going to war and preparing to go to war but also the core character building around it is Ayo Adibiri and Rachel Sennett's characters basically trying to get elbow deep in pussy and it's that classic story of it's high classic story of trying to get laid two lesbians start a fight club to have sex with cheerleaders the classic all-american yeah that the, the dream the american dream yeah 100 percent. yeah i think more than any other movie bottoms was the movie that i was chomping at the bit to talk about on the podcast that we had decided not to because of the writers and the actors strikes mm-hmm. and i was just like support the workers support the strikers but also oh my god can you hurry up and resolve it so that we can talk about bottoms i genuinely think that bottoms is this generation's mean girls i think that it is going to be hugely influential in the way that we kind of like approach teen movies going forward and this dialed up to 11 kind of like saturation of both like meta comedy and like hyper realist shooting and dialogue and all of those kinds of things just brought me so much joy and i think that we're just living in emma segelman and rachel sennett's world and i'm very happy for them to continue mating absolutely unhinged stuff obviously their earlier stuff with shiver baby this very much has a similar absurdist tone to it i adore bottoms and we talked about this in the episode where we talked about it just the throwaway lines the masterfulness of the lines that are just thrown away at the end of a scene that when you're just watching it it's so quick you don't necessarily pick up on it and for me the only way that i can pick up on it is when there's subtitles there and then you realize how insanely smart and funny those throwaway lines are it's joyful ridiculous stupid fun and i enjoyed it i mean yeah if you've listened to our episode on bottoms you know that i also loved this movie and it was actually on my like little top five list that i have here but i also kind of knew that jazza was going to have it on there so i should have known that it was going to get doubled up so what else are you bringing i am going to bring nimona i adored this movie so it is an adaptation of a web comic comic book graphic novel i don't know what the official like terminology is in the industry (laughs) but it is just a fantastic adaptation of this sort of story set in a fantasy world in terms of you know knights and monsters and all that kind of stuff but with very modern technology which is very fun world building 
telling the story of a man who is framed for a crime and has to go on the run and in doing so meets Nimona, who is a character that has been ostracized, treated as a monster and has kind of embraced that role as an inevitability and so sees who she thinks is this uh, villain and decides to become his psychic. And it is so funny. It is so sweet and lovely. The animation style is stunning. Like it is so stylized mm. and interesting and it is very different to the original artwork, but still feels like it has a kind of artistic voice to it, which I really liked and a, and a visual voice. And also that voice acting is fantastic uh-huh. including from eugene from the try guys oh who i didn't realize played one of the essentially the love interest of the main guy until after i'd watched it and the credits came up and i was like oh my god he's amazing he was so good the queerness in this movie is sort of twofold one the main sort of villain slash not quite villain has been in a romantic relationship that's explicit very clearly on screen from the very beginning with the sort of golden boy knight. Uh And so when he is framed, they kind of end up on opposite sides of the law as it was. And so there's also a lot of angst around which one of them believes each other and Mm -hmm. can they kind of fight through all of this to find each other again, which is very sweet. But also Nimona's character is a very interesting allegorical but also quite literal manifestation of queerness I guess like the Mm. idea of being a shapeshifter really is pushed to those kind of literal limits the idea of not being simply just like I'm a girl it's like no there is something else there and there is a sense that you know shapeshifting is part of Nimona's identity that it is something that is very freeing that it's something that also Nimona shouldn't have to hide in order to kind of make people comfortable and and all uh-huh. of these sort of like metaphorical elements of gender and of sexuality and of queerness are also within that character as well so it's just overall like an extremely fucking queer movie and also is essentially a family movie it's like a kids movie and I feel like it's for me by far the queerest sort of family movie that I've seen which I also very much appreciate. I love how much really good animation is coming out at the moment i really Mm -hmm. think that we're spoiled right now we want to talk about blue-eyed samurai at some point if we have time i mean that is one of my lists so i'm gonna say we have time okay we we will have time i'm going to play a very stereotypical jazzy card so this is let um, me guess let me guess let me guess oh oh, okay it is a a movie from somewhere in asia (laughs) actually no i don't have i don't have any no that would have been so i was like it's a taiwanese movie yeah it could have been some kind of art housey it's um it's not in english so it is an art housey foreign documentary film that i saw at a film festival (laughs) yeah okay i was very close you were you were close so i was in toronto for inside out which is an lgbt film festival that happens there every spring and i just happened to be in town while this is happening and i tried to find like oh are there any viewings could i go to and there was one that evening that i was looking called a queer's guide to spiritual living Mm. and it is a documentary directed by michael houston and ari conrad birch and it was one of those viewings where the whole of the cast came up afterwards which is why you should always go to film festivals because that kind of shit just happens and you're not necessarily expecting it it was wonderful i loved this movie because it really challenged my views on organized religion i don't talk about this very often on the internet i'm not organized religion's biggest fan i understand that it gives lots of people lots of meaning in their life and good for you but i don't think (laughs) not your cup of tea not my cup of tea not my pickle and it was really wonderful to see how these 
a selection of queer people. So they had, it was a group of Toronto-based individuals. One of them founded the Queer Muslim Network. One of them was an Orthodox Christian. One of them was a Hindu immigrant. And all of them were talking about how they had integrated their religious traditions into their queerness, founded new communities, were building these new communities. And I thought that perspective was really great. The thing that really blew me away about this documentary was the intimacy of the documentary subjects. You end up seeing people dance in front of you in their own living rooms. They have a full recording of someone communing with God, praying to God. And it felt like such a privilege. The way it was shot really emphasised how special these moments were and what a how lucky we were to be able to witness these moments. And for that, I have thought about this screening and this movie again and again throughout the year since I saw it in the spring. If you can find it on a streaming service or a showing at a local film festival, go and check it out. But it was a really special documentary for me. I love that. That's so nice. Also, I love that you gave the film equivalent of asking someone where they got their jacket from and they go... There was a thrift store in Spain seven years ago. You can find it if you want. You can try. <laughs> Good, luck. Good luck. You just kind of had to be there, you yeah, know? It was, it was like a really special kind of moment, moment. really special time. Amazing. We've covered my three movies that I had on this list because I decided to do two TV nominations. Go for it. You're allowed and I will continue to do the assignment as it was assigned. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so I think this one is, I mean, it was towards the top end of the year. We've already kind of talked about it, but... I think that the writer's strike had such a big effect, not just in terms of, you know, we were kind of trying to go along with the strike guidelines and not cover stuff, but also just in terms of movies and TV shows that kind of flew under the radar a bit Mm. and that people didn't necessarily talk a huge amount about. And I feel like I am still trying to like dig through and find those because Mm -hmm. so much of it it seems to have just kind of been lost. And I do wonder if there were any particular gems that I just didn't end up seeing because... This one is not a hidden gem by any stretch of the imagination, but I think was like such an impactful TV moment this year that was the Bill and Frank episode of The Last of Us. Oh my God, I completely forgot that that was even this yeah, year. It feels like it was so Oh, long ago. if I had remembered, I would have 100% mm-hmm. added. I, great, good job. Thank you so great much. choice we did an episode on we it. did an episode on it so i mean the last of us i'm sure you people who are listening will know is based on the game series i guess there's like more than one there's like two games at this point but um i love i love hearing game Rowan try to talk about games games <laughs> gaming but the episode in particular we're talking about because it, there is the main character is queer ellie but there is a particular mm-hmm. episode that is a flashback episode that has been much lauded and I'm pretty sure a bunch of award nominations are coming up for the for the actors in that I feel like particularly for this episode where we see these two men essentially fall in love and live a life together during the apocalypse in this very isolated kind of survivalist mm-hmm. house and community have, and have flamethrower death traps yeah as they should as they should yeah and I think that that is it was it was just so special it was so well acted it made me absolutely sob my eyes out I watched it for like a live reaction on my Patreon and was like an absolute wreck. And then we did an episode on it and I've like recommended it other places because even though it is one of those things that I feel like most people would have heard about, it it like is worth the hype. It is so fantastic. Yeah, 100%. And really in a way that not very much of the rest of the series did this, like it was quite true to the story that is told in the original game. It really added 
to and considered fan theories and 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 things that, that we didn't know, especially about the Bill and Frank relationship. It filled in a lot of gaps for us. And yeah, it's ugly crying. It's like painful crying TV. A really fantastic choice. It's one of those ones where you're watching it and you start, like I've also watched so many people's reactions to it. And it's where <laughs> so many people have exactly the same reaction, which is there's a realization point in that episode where you understand where it's going and the amount of people who just go oh oh no and then stop crying <laughs> is like that is that is like the universal reaction which i really enjoy when mm-hmm. you have enough of a of a foreshadowing or enough of a kind of inevitability that you're not even beginning to cry at a particular line or a particular moment it's just you're crying at your own realization of what you're about to watch and then you just cry again at that so that was my fourth pick i i can't look at strawberries anymore uh, because of that damn episode apparently i read a thing the other day that they struggled to get that shot there was like a they were losing light or there was some timing issue and it was like a really there was like a full possibility that they wouldn't have been able to film that scene and i feel like so happy that they managed to get it in there because that is like such a special moment in that episode big meme so you went touching emotional mm. never before seen mm. what have you done my next one <laughs> what have you done After a lot of reflection, because I don't think I scored this very well when we did an episode on this when you were away, but I'm putting Dicks, the musical, on my list because it's... So Bottoms is like smart, stupid. It's smart, dumb. It knows what it's doing. Mm -hmm. Dicks is just unhinged insanity where you have a couple of humanoid rat people being fed by Nathan Lane as if they're little birds. You have Megan Mullally's vagina taking flight and then attacking people as a puppet. You have Megan the Stallion doing a rap number in the middle of it for some reason. Mm. It is, if you've seen the trailer for this or seen them, the, the trailer really... Yeah, giving the people what they want. The trailer really, really knows... It represents what is actually going to happen in the movie, which is, one, um, not a lot, but it is so wild and unhinged in a way that really plays to its roots in kind of like the improv scene and my guest for that week david puck who is in the improv scene in new york where the writers of dicks came from it's really kind of like lends itself to and, and is an homage to to that kind of ridiculous insane yes and storytelling there is and and I think actually this is my favourite scene that I have seen, more better than Strawberries. Uh, this is my favourite scene that I have seen in any movie all year. Mm-hmm. And it is Megan Mullaney trying to get the guy who plays her son, Josh Sharp, to take something off a shelf. And she's just pointing and going, no, that one. No, that one. No, over there and to the left. It's that. And he's he keeps on going for the wrong thing. And it is so simple brilliant and insane slapstick Bowen Yang also plays God at the end mm, and, classic, and sings yeah. about um and sings about uh, how everyone's gay it's it's amazing insane I don't think I scored it very well in the episode but on reflection I was wrong and this <gasps> might be the best thing to come out this year my gosh I'm so proud of you for admitting <laughs> that you can be wrong I might be wrong might be potentially mm-hmm. I love that Hey everybody, an ad read for you. 
very quickly before we dive into the rest of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Ravensburger. Indulge in the timeless pleasure of assembling Ravensburger's extraordinary jigsaw puzzles. Ravensburger premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. With a rich heritage dating back to 1883, Ravensburger puzzles have become an integral part of families' lives across generations. Share the joy of puzzling with family and friends, knowing that your cherished puzzles will stand the test of time. Enjoy a mindful moment and immerse yourselves in a world of captivating colours, stunning imagery and intricate designs that will delight people of all ages, regardless of your preference or skill level. You can find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery, themes and piece counts available. You can start super, super small and work your way up to over 40,000 pieces, which is a little bit bananas to me. If you're up for that challenge, then why don't you go and shop Ravensburger on Amazon if you like today. We are also still supported by Squarespace, who can help you, dear listener, buy a domain and create a website. We always talk about how much we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to analytics, the creation of email campaigns and connecting all of your social media presence in one place. The design features really do make everything more accessible when you're building a website. You don't need to know any coding whatsoever and you can get all of your beautiful text and images aligned brilliantly so that you can make your website look very, very, very sexy. We know you hear a lot of your favorite media and podcasts and stuff offering discount codes, but we'd really appreciate it if you considered using ours. If you're putting together a website for like a campaign or a wedding or something along those lines, it would really help us out and keep the Queer Movie podcast going. So go to squarespace.com slash queer movie. And when you are ready to check out with your domain name and or your website, you can use the offer code queer movie to save 10 percentage points off of your first purchase remember to go to squarespace.com slash queer movie now back to the show my next one is again another show and we we did kind of allude to it earlier but it is blue-eyed samurai that i watched again a few weeks ago and then immediately re-watched with a friend and i am obsessed with it like I genuinely think it is. I need to talk incredible. about this with someone. This is now. This is now the Blue White Samurai episode. Okay, I'm going to do podcast. a quick sentence summary of what okay, the hell is it. going yeah, on yeah, in yeah, this. Because yeah. I only finished it yesterday, so I. Oh, I'm like so it's fresh. So essentially, this is an animated, uh, like very adult TV show about a samurai who is uh, essentially biracial, has one white parent and one Japanese parent during the. Edo, Edo, I don't know entirely how to pronounce Edo. it, Edo period in history where Japan was very much having an isolationist policy to their involvement with the outside world. And it's basically a revenge story of this samurai trying to hunt down and kill the four or five sort of white men who are currently in Japan, one of which is her father. And it is so goddamn good. Everything about it is perfect. The music, the artistry and the, the animation style, mm-hmm. the storylines, the voice acting, 
just everything about it is so good. Yeah. I'm really hoping you're going to say the same thing and you're not wanting to rant about how bad it was, Jasmine. No, 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 no. no. I, I, does anybody think this show is bad? It is fantastically written. It's written by Amber Nozumi and Michael Green. Michael Green, who has a load of credits to his name, including like Logan. It's for some reason the only thing I can remember that he has written for. He's written for like a load of very successful and well-written shows. It tickled my entryway into almost all of my interests was Kill Bill and Tarantino's kind of like homages and love letters to Japanese cinema from the 70s and 80s. And you see that influence from the score to the fight scenes to the characterizations to the overall themes running through this like a stick of rock. But the thing I need to talk to you about, Rowan, okay, is is Mizu trance yes this is the question of the hour and i think that my favorite thing about this show is the fact that there are no clear answers because this is not a concept that has trans didn't same, exist sure but like but like not even didn't exist but like the very it is impossible to talk about a character from that period of history or a person from that period of history yeah. using any of the references really that we have in our own lives because yeah. there are so many nuances to the idea of especially this character who has multiple reasons for wanting to be seen as a man yeah whether it is the ability to access the samurai skills that would allow Mizu to pursue revenge, whether it is uh-huh. the literal keeping safe of needing. So there is this idea that Mizu has to keep. I say her, but I feel like any pronoun kind of would work with this character. Well, uh, the writers always refer to Mizu as her. Mm-hmm. But I feel having watched it, I feel like I always want to use him with Mizu. And the characters in the show always also use him because of the way that Mizu presents. And that's my mind fuck. <laughs> but this is the question, right? Is whether Mizu is presenting as a man because of some innate internal feeling of manhood or whether removed from the specific circumstances of only having access to freedom and power because uh-huh. of being seen as a man, that Mizu would not be having anything to do with like he, him pronouns or being referred to as yeah. a man because it is so ingrained Like we see a scene early on where a woman is unable to enter a city because she is unaccompanied. Yeah. And so there is this real sense that if anyone was to find out that Mizu it was not like a cis man, that that would that would basically be the end of the story because Mizu would like have absolutely no power to even like move freely, let alone go and do all of this like badass samurai shit. Yeah, hundred percent. And just to clarify something I said earlier, obviously trans people existed. Yeah, but the terminology didn't. <laughs> the terminology and, like, and just the, as an obvious and the concept. Because thing. I th- and and but this is like an interesting question that we see throughout history, where we have people who, when you look back with our current understanding of gender and our current understanding of words and language, like trans for example yeah we can see people in history and say this person feels like if they were alive trans today. is a label yeah, yeah like this is a label but equally because of the wild amounts of sexism and misogyny and legal differences in gender there is also an understanding of hmm there are other reasons other than what we now consider to be trans like a trans identity or experience to for like a woman to want to be perceived as a man, for example. Yeah. And a lot of that is around safety. It's around what what is unlocked. And I think that it's, I mean, my general thought is like, 
it's not actually that important to be able to definitively say this person from 500 years ago is trans. Like that doesn't feel necessarily that important. I feel like having a discussion and having all of the context of that person's lived experience and the sources that we have around them and how they refer to themselves, how other people did, like all of that feels like it's more important than kind of distilling it down to a single modern word but this is this is 100% a conversation around this show that I love because it feels like there is I always keep talking about it's like a queer show yeah and a show that is like in conversation with queerness with transness with gender with sexuality but it's different it's hard to pin down a certain word and be like the main character is insert identity here but to me that's like great I love that I also love it but it's been it's (laughs) I haven't had anybody to talk about it yet because I only finished it yesterday and it like I think that Mizu does like present a load of things that are kind of like similar to the trans experience that people have these days. So I think that if we see a little bit of gender dysphoria when Mizu hits puberty and he binds his chest and all of those kind of things. But then very explicitly says, oh, I was a man because I needed, it was the only way that I would be able to get, like live in a world in the way that I wanted to, which is why I think so might like a, I've, we've spoiled it. But if you don't want a spoiler for the very end of the movie, he's going off to London. And I am really interested to see because we, we know about female gentlemen, same sex women couples, and one of the women would like dress photo mask would sometimes be socialized as like a man in some way shape or form and i'm really curious to see if they if we see some of that and the way that that relatively well documented kind of like way of existing in a gender non-conforming way happened in in victorian england at the time i'm quite excited to see that is it Victorian era? It isn't. Absolutely it is not. Absolutely not. It's like 200 years before that. So yeah. does that exist? Who knows? That's what I've well, been thinking about. If they're, oh, no. they're talking about like the Tudor, they talked about the Tudors. Yeah. And we know that there is like absolutely so many interesting gender things. Like we can think about Shakespeare for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. Just the concept of like men and women and masculinity and femininity was so interesting back then. But I, yes, I'm also very excited. We're going to talk more after this call because I have so many thoughts about this and I don't want to give mm-hmm. any more spoiler things in the episode, but just fucking go watch watch this show because it is just incredible yeah so good outstanding and then tell us all your thoughts so my next one i did the assignment because i am a good boy you're very good we get it so i'm my next two movies kind of like bucket in together and so i i am gonna bucket them in together do it one of them is an australian movie called of an age that i watched on a flight and is by goran stolevsky who is the director for housekeeping for beginners which i'm really excited to watch next year which also tells kind of like a queer story. I love Of An Age. It tells the story of a queer kind of like younger kid who has his first kind of like gay experience with the brother of his of his friend. And then they go away for like, I think it's like 10, 15 years. And then they come back and they meet one another again. And it's kind of like, it shows kind of like how people change over the years and how important like first romantic experiences are for people and... this again is such a stereotypically jazz oh, movie one, to bring to one, this list 100 percent. and the, the one after this is all of us strangers which is basically exactly uh, like get two sad gays together and make me cry it's essentially my um genre mm-hmm. but this was so reminiscent speaking of all of us strangers another andrew haig film weekend this reminded me so much of weekend in the intimacy of the way that it was shot. So much of that movie is just one shot of the of two of the main characters in a car. And 
you know when in a, a film you can feel the heat through the camera it manages to do that and so it's incredibly atmospheric yeah i i really i i really loved up age it came out in 2022 but i watched it this year on a plane and bawled my I'll eyes out it. bawled my eyes out next to a poor middle-aged british lady on a flight to london and then i had this just yesterday, I watched this yesterday, All of Us Strangers just had a more general release in the United States and it's coming out early 2024 in some cinemas in the UK, which is uh, basically that kind of like two sad boys fall in love and discover stuff about themselves dialed up to like 11. So it's got Paul Mescal, who's obviously a Oscar nominated for Sunburn, who has just... He's just got a sad face and everybody loves, like, that's what he plays in movies, this sad-faced hot boy. Andrew Scott is in there and obviously he's in absolutely everything, an outstanding actor. And then Claire Foy and Jamie Bell play kind of like ghost parents to to Andrew Scott, essentially. I just want to say really quickly, it is after Sun, Sorry. not Sunburn, but I like the idea that you'd mixed up Saltburn salt burn and After and Sun after into like <laughs> one... So I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much. It's all of like the Oscar buzzy Brits who are like, yeah. who are in there or Irish people as well. I feel like that's they're both th- those like the, our little islands together. Yeah, really yeah. love to take uh, Hollywood by storm. Yeah, the British are um, swooping in, taking their awards. But yeah, all of us strangers is really fantastic. Returns to some of the themes of Andrew Haig's like earlier work, especially Weekend. And the themes that really resonated with me and had me like bawling out were the themes of being in in a sanitized city, loneliness, being older and gay, carrying a lot of like the guilt that we had being the ages that we were. I think Andrew Scott's character is probably a little older than I am, but a lot of it still resonates and generational differences and trying to find like acceptance and love. And also Andrew Scott's character lives in the building that was next to me when I lived in London. So also lovely. I was just there being like, ah. And it has a fantastic soundtrack of basically like the Pet Shop Boys and Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which is catnip to me. I think it closes to the power of love, which is (laughs) so beautiful. So yeah, of an age, all of us strangers, I love them for the same reason because i left both of those viewing experiences incredibly dehydrated having yeah having seen you at a screening when you cried i yeah i understand the level of for love simon water leaking <laughs> which yeah. i think is one of the more embarrassing <laughs> embarrassing crying breakdowns that i have had is love simon mm-hmm. i think even like if even if you're stone cold stone hearted for love simon you will cry at all of us strangers excellent okay so jazza do you, is that all of your five those done? are all of my movies yes and then i have two other non-movies that i would like to just drop in here a little bit so before you do that will you allow me considering that all of our strangers is on the list to give my extra credit the most adhd thing in the world didn't properly do the actual assignment but then did the extra credit assignment that no one fucking asked for yeah Go ahead. Which is my New Year's resolutions, which are just five things that I want to watch, but I didn't get to this year. Uh All of Us Strangers is one of them. I feel like I'm going to weep and cry and therefore I need to be in the right frame of mind for it. And also it's not actually out yet. I just have also just seen an unhinged amount of press for it. I think they really went hard on, hey, the strikes are over, let's go. Because I'm like, it's not even out yet. Uh (laughs) Stop teasing me. It's out in the UK in just a couple of weeks. Just a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's a whole new year, Jazza. See you next year. See you next year. Blue Jean. 
I want to see this so badly. This is a British film set in the 80s about a closeted teacher who kind of there are threats to expose her sexuality during the time of Section 28. It is like the big Section 28 drama that everyone's been talking about on the festival scene. I want to see it. Everyone is recommended it to me. Looks amazing. Femme is like a queer revenge movie and has two actors in it who names have both escaped me but they're both good actors I've seen in other things and like them which is the idea of rather than doing the classic like they were a homophobic bully and they were really mean to me but then they're my love interest the end I think the the vibes it's giving in the trailer is this homophobic person might be gay but I'm gonna hunt them down <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we love to see it. So that's that seems like it's gonna be fun, like genre kind of style thing. We also have Power Alley, which just seems like an unhinged mix of stuff around essentially a volleyball player who's faced with an unwanted pregnancy. And because of where she lives, she's not like legally able to get an abortion. And so she ends up like traveling to go and get it but then that antagonist within this is like a fundamentalist anti-abortion group and <laughs> it's it just seems completely like i do not know what to expect from that as a concept for a movie i truly don't even know what genre it's going to fall down into because i feel like that could be a thriller that could be a comedy that could be a mix like i really don't know but someone sent me a list of like oh here are some like movies to look forward to and that was on there and i was like yeah perfect beautiful brilliant i'm on it oh and specifically there was a quote from screen daily about it which is what made me be like oh interesting which they called it a punchy confrontational energy infuses this celebration of queer sisterhood in the face of brazilian conservatism and i was like oh okay i'm intrigued kind of me intrigued Mm. and then finally i want to see the persian version which is this story of like this big iranian american family gathering where there's like a big secret gets uncovered and uh it's like another sort of estranged mother and queer daughter story and that i just i just feel like we've had so many good like estranged queer mother daughter relationship things recently I just want to keep on going with them. You know what I mean? Like we did the everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. And I was, I'm like, yep, cool. I'm ready for more of this, please. So those are my five. Like I've, I've heard about them that either they've come out somewhere. They've had a, they've had their premiere somewhere. I just need to wait until they're available in the UK or I can stream them. And so essentially next year, it's going to be my job to go and search those all out. I have a couple that I kind of want to add into that. A little extras. I mentioned it earlier, the movie from Goran Stalevsky, the Australian filmmaker, Housekeeping for Beginners, which is another, similar to what you were talking about, like a queer family comes together and is chaotic kind of vibes. Nice. An A24 film, and no one is surprised, um, Problemista has also like had some showing, but is essentially about a queer New Yorker trying to navigate the immigration system and has Tilda Swinton in a purple wig and looks stunning fantastic and i don't know if this is going to be queer but i'm going to be really surprised if it isn't the furiosa movie oh yeah that would be ridiculous if it wasn't yeah exactly also speaking of that i'm about to give the worst segue in the world when you're talking about a purple uh-huh. wig speaking of the color purple oh the color purple which is i've heard some early reviews of it which took because because notoriously the color purple is quite a like black trauma black queer trauma sort of uh storyline yeah traditionally but there was there's a lot of people have talked about the fact that they this particular adaptation has really drawn out the like joy of it. How far 
the queerness within it is going to be there. We don't know because that's like controversially in the movie, they dampen down on the queer themes for various reasons. I've like talked about that previously, but I'd be, I'm kind of interested to see because I've not really been seeking out reviews because I want to go into it quite like, not unspoiled because I obviously know the story, but without other people's opinions in there. But that one I'm excited about. And also the Mean Girls musical where- Oh my Renee God, Rapp, yes, plays, of course. Who- <laughs> Who who plays the Queen Bee herself has said that she was playing Regina as a lesbian. And I am now f- just counting it. I'm just like, yep, that's re- she's a lesbian. That's it. That's it's canon. canon. It's canon it's now. It's happening. She, her flirting with the camera and in doing so flirting with Katie, even just on the like trailers and the odd clips we've seen is so intense. I'm like, yeah, Renee, you fucking did that. You were not holding back. That is the flirtiest little mean girl i've ever seen amazing okay now now look how we've descended into chaos i now have two things that are blue-eyed samurai is is one of the, my favorite non-movie mm-hmm. things i have a game and a youtube video i also have a book oh so let's do the game the book and then the youtube video okay sounds good my game is Baldur's gate 3 oh yeah so for anybody who doesn't know Baldur's gate 3 is a video game by a studio called Laren, and they have made the greatest game of all time. They've taken the complexity that is Dungeons & Dragons, I think it's 5e, and they have managed to take all of that complexity and put it into an actually playable game that isn't just passable and playable, but has some of the most tightly woven, consequential character decisions that I have ever seen in a RPG that I have ever seen. You can play with your friends. You can... You can fuck a bear. Wait, wait, wait. We'll get there. We'll get there. But the... Mo- okay, and, okay. And so it's it's a fantastic game as like a... In terms of like its craftsmanship of the, um, of the art form. It is outstanding. It's one game of the year at the Game Awards. But the only reason that any of us like it is because it's essentially a really elaborate romance sim where you can have a romantic interest with every single one of the companions of the six, I think it's six companions that you can have, one of whom is a vampire who will drink your blood every night, one of whom has an engine in their chest that will explode at any point, another one, when you have sex with them, you are projected into the astral plane and have a really kind of like trippy, you basically take mushrooms together and then fuck. It's great. The second most important part is the fact that the genital physics out of this world Cut, uncut. Is it a penis? Is it is it a vagina? Who who knows? I think it was cyberpunk. weren't necessarily the first, but they were what they were one of the most prominent games to in character creation have very detailed genital selection, and they've really Laren have really blown themselves out of the water here. The genital selection here is absolutely they've outstanding. Certainly blown something. <laughs> That was, that was really, really good. Um, but you. the most important thing is that you can fuck a bear. So one of the mm. non-playable characters, Halsin, just follows you around for a while, talks about, oh, can you um, get rid of this like terrible curse for this shadow realm, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of it, he lets you fuck him. And then he turns into a bear and then you fuck. And who doesn't want... Who doesn't want that? Mm. A very new meaning of a gay bear. Yes, exactly. And I think importantly, you can romance everyone, regardless of of gender of the of your character or the characters as well love that which is why it's super gay you've read something god are you, mm. do you think you're better than me yes um no not at all <laughs> i i read something i've well here's the thing i listen to audiobooks more than i like read physical books now and my thing is i just listen to audiobooks like 15 minutes at a time as i'm going to sleep and 
for the most part, the very specific genre that I listen to that at this point, I think I've listened to every single one of the audiobooks for this genre is historical gay romance. Uh-huh. And like Kat Sebastian is probably the most sort of well-known. And I think specifically she's like, takes all of the tropes of the Lord in the manor and the local whoever who's not the same class as him but instead of it being like oh how titillating the class system is the just an unmentioned backdrop that's just useful because someone has a big house where they can fuck it's always like the third act of cat sebastian's books is always like okay and now we take down the system yeah every single one is great but the one sort of like straying away from the genre that i've been doing is andrew joseph white's books only two of them so far with two more on the way but they are just fantastic trans horror genre blends so the one particularly i want to recommend is the spirit bears its teeth Uh which is a gothic horror set in an alternate version of england where the veil between the living and the dead has been kind of thinning and people some people are born with the ability to communicate with the dead but the british empire has essentially figured out a way of controlling who has access to it and who is able to join the speaker society it's called which is obviously just men (laughs) and the main character is a autistic trans teenage boy who is after trying to get into the speaker society is found out and is sent to a like ladies finishing school which is haunted and so it is just such like basically i think genuinely i think that all of Andrew Joseph White's main characters are like trans boys, autistic trans boys. And it's like so interesting to see the ways in which you can take an identity that so many people would deride as like too specific. Yeah. And like within the horror genre, I'm going to do a bunch of different gothic and horror with a completely different character Uh who just happens to have these like two or three identity markers, but who has different motivations, different personalities. The settings are going to be different. So the first one was set in like a post-apocalyptic America where the apocalypse had been like a Christian fundamentalist apocalypse. And it's like a big body horror thing where the main character is turning into like a biblically accurate angel. Um, <laughs> just like unhinged, but it's, but like, it is so dark and they're YA. So they're four teenagers and they are just such a good, they're always very bodily and visceral. It really feels like the, themes of trans experience alongside the actual characters experiences are infused in the book the way in which the character perceives everything but also the the motifs and the themes and the ideas that are being brought up within the books themselves like they are so tightly written they are so well plotted they are so thematically linked and yeah i cannot recommend it enough i'm so excited there is a two more coming up i think there's an adult novel which is goes into the alien side of sci-fi and there is another sort of like curse haunting which is all around i think it's like set in sort of appalachia looking at the mining riots and like workers Mm. riots back 100 years ago i am so so excited for them so yeah i cannot honestly recommend enough and it's also really disgusting because i'm i'm like 99.9 percent sure that this author is younger than us oh no 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 like it's actually very ageist for anyone younger than us to do anything talented to do anything to exist but no i'm i'm like so so excited to to see what else he comes up with in the future amazing speaking of young overly talented shouldn't be allowed to exist shouldn't be allowed to exist actually feels very strong when you say it out loud so i would track 
that. Mm-hmm. My my final favorite thing is a YouTube video, and it's Alex Avila's "I Was a Transgender Child" video. Mm-hmm. The video essay and the video essay as as medium for coming out, um, and kind of like all of those things has been kind of like done before, but I think Alex really with this video. If anybody doesn't know, Alex Alex does has been a guest on this podcast. Used to go by Are They Gay and did kind of like media analysis and kind of like queer Marxist. He's got a queer Marxist reading of the Barbie animated movies as like an example of the kind of things that he does. And with his I Was a Transgender Child video, it won provided a voice that I don't think many people get to hear directly from people who have had those experiences of being a trans kid and having to navigate an understanding of their identity and healthcare and all of those kinds of things and being in the current climate that we're in around a lot of the anti-trans and the scapegoating of trans people that we see across the world, but especially in the US and the UK at the moment. But also it really... I feel like this was the video where Alex kind of like really like hit his stride in, oh, I'm a theatre kid who does kind of like queer themed or uh, uh, like Tumblr themed video essays. Not to be derogatory in Tumblr theme, but those kinds of kind of like topics. And he's done one around TikTok gaming autism. There's also a four hour epic that he's just released about Taylor Swift. All of kind of like this performance vibe with it fantastically well researched yeah, you just called alex out just so accurately yeah, yeah, yeah. i also love that video and it very much was a kind of like launch into a rebrand i guess is a way yeah. of putting it but kind of going by his actual sort of name rather than like a oh, username kind yeah. of element like it was very much like hey this is what i want to do and then has just fucking delivered like banger after banger since that yeah it's since really that kind annoying of shift. quite rude love it <laughs> mm-hmm. amazing all right, well, that was 2023. you got a lot to catch up on, gang. There's, a, I hope you were making notes. There's so many <laughs> things for you to read and watch and play. Yeah, we'll see you in the new year, I guess. Good. See, Bye. I hope you have a lovely rest of the year. I have a feeling it, this is actually coming out this in 2024. This is definitely coming out in so 2024. I hope you have a lovely rest of 2024 anyway. Bye. Bye. Bye.